welcome here on this, isn't it kind of a balmy Sunday morning? It's like 40 degrees warmer than it was last Sunday. We're so glad if you're here in this room. We also have a little crew that's up in A3 in our cafe. They're kind of watching along as well as those that are joining us online or over at our, uh, our West Side campus. I'm wondering this morning, have any of you ever experienced a storm, uh, a storm that was life Threatening. Anybody here been in a tornado before? We saw a few of those at the first service. And uh, seeing the devastation that a tornado can cause, uh, really, it must be uh, pretty frightening. And, you know, my problem is that uh, I've never seen a tornado in real life. And I would really, really like to. And so, honestly, this past summer, when a tornado warning actually appeared on my phone, I thought to myself, if I'm going to be killed by a tornado, I'm going to go out and see it first. And so I walked outside and I snapped this picture of the tornado. Now, obviously, and and very fortunately, it didn't turn out uh, to be very much. But I say that because, you know, in this life, we're going to go through storms. But these are not going to be storms that are related to the weather. It might be a sickness might be the death of a loved one. It could be the, the betrayal of someone that we trust. And there are times this world is going to throw things at us uh, that feel overwhelming. And our first instinct sometimes is just to experience fear. Because the problem seems very real and uncontrollable. And the waves can crash against our boat. And we feel like there's nothing that we can do about it. Well, we're in this series called Encounter, and today we're going to be looking at an encounter in the book of Matthew that involved both a boat and as well as a life-threatening storm. Now, remember, our series definition of an encounter that we're using for this series is an impromptu but God-appointed life-changing interaction that Jesus had in the Gospels. And an encounter with Jesus was literally intended to reveal something about him, something about the individual, and then require that a decision be made. And uh, we're not able to cover all of the encounters, so I hope you're joining us in our encounter challenge, which is to read through the four accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John by the end of March. Uh, Today we are in encounter number three from Matthew chapter 8. And the the particular encounter we're going to look at today actually was significant enough that it was recorded in two of the other Gospels as well, in Mark and in Luke. And honestly, this is my kind of story, folks, because it contains some action, it's got adventure, there's a plot twist, and a miraculous ending. Now, we learned last week that Jesus had already made the decision to cross the Sea of Galilee, but that he had been, been, been detained by an interaction that he had with a couple of wannabe, but less than committed followers. Well, in verse 23, it takes up with Jesus actually getting into the boat and then apparently falling asleep almost immediately. And that's because Jesus was a human being and he ministered with a heavy load and probably got really, really tired. But I think also uh, it was because he had no worries. He knew he had nothing to fear when he slept. But as we'll see, uh, that that was not the case with some of the other folks that were with him in the boat. So if you have your Bibles, your devices, your notes, or you want to look up on the screen, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. Here's what it says. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a ferocious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves were sweeping over the boat. Now, typical boats on the Sea of Galilee were relatively small. 
And what's interesting is a fishing boat from the first century A.D. was actually discovered on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee in 1986. And it was about 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. It could have carried up to 15 people, and it would have been powered by a sail. And the boat that Jesus used was likely similar in size. Now, most often, the journey to the other side would normally take about two hours. And on that particular day, the Sea of Galilee uh, exposed what it was notorious for, sudden squalls and powerful storms would sweep across it. Now, the Sea of Galilee is relatively a small body of water. It's about 13 miles long and about 7 miles wide. And what makes it unique is the fact that it's about 150 feet deep, and the shoreline is 680 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded almost completely by mountains. And so what happens is the winds would come off of the Mediterranean Sea, which is to the west, over the mountains, and then down into the valley, and suddenly turn the sea into a turbulent and dangerous place to be. And that's exactly what happened on the day that Jesus got into the boat, and there was a crisis. And you know what the crisis was? We find it, and the verse goes on, it says, because Jesus was sleeping, now, imagine if you'd been the disciples at that point. I bet they waited as long as they thought they could. And then it says they finally went and woke him up saying, Lord, you got to save us. I mean, we're about to drown here. Now, there's a lot of artists that have tried to come up with pictures of what that, uh, that actual event looks like. I-, I found the one that I like the best. And the storm was so great that the boat was being covered by the waves. And the water is filling the hole. And Jesus remains asleep. I mean, even in the midst of a violent storm on the sea, Jesus had faith in his father's protection and in his provision. And so when he got up, I think there was a bit of a surprise. He he said to them, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And it says the men, I mean, they were amazed. They said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, there's the encounter. I want us to do like we've done the last few weeks. We're going to look at some uh, encounter observations. And I actually today want to begin with an observation that's at the end of the encounter, and then we'll work our way back. And then I have three applications uh, for you to take with you today. And so the first observation we would make would be this. Jesus' authority over his creation was clearly revealed in this encounter. Now, you know, the disciples had already understood that Jesus was an extraordinary man, but they were about to learn a lot more about Jesus. And that's because he stood up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it became completely calm. I mean, it just didn't calm down uh, naturally as it should have. It became suddenly and miraculously tranquil. And there's actually, I think, a little bit of humor in this encounter when you realize that they were so terrified and afraid because they, were, they thought they were about to die in the storm. But then Jesus stands up and makes it stop. And now they're scared even more because there's a deeper storm that's kind of brewing in their hearts and their minds. They're no longer terrified by the storm. They're kind of terrified by Jesus now. These seasoned fishermen, they'd never seen such a violent storm calm so quickly. 
And what these disciples had just witnessed was the very power and authority of the Lord God Almighty in Jesus. They had just taken an advanced class in the nature of Christ. And so, you know, the primary message of this encounter is kind of clear, and it's pretty uncomplicated. And it's this, Jesus is God. I mean, he is all-powerful. He has authority over all creation. He's much more than just a great man. I mean, he's in a category all by himself. Now, these guys already knew that Jesus wasn't an ordinary man, but they didn't have yet a context for him being a God-man. And that's why uh, he was wanting them to experience him doing something that only God could do. And speaking things into existence is something that God can do. We know that because in the book of Genesis, we read, uh, it says, and God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. It showed up. And then he goes on and says, he said, and he said, and all of those things appeared and happened by God's power and authority. And what they needed to be able to believe and understand was, was now being revealed to them. And it would later be recorded for all of us. Because when we get to John's gospel in John chapter one, here's what John had to say when he thought of Christ. He said, you know, in the beginning was the word that was Jesus. And the word was with God, but the word also was God. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And that word, Jesus, became flesh. He became one of us and made his dwelling among us. And that's exactly why in that moment, the natural cosmos obeyed the voice of the one who'd literally spoken it into existence. And see, Matthew wanted to be clear in his gospel of who Jesus was, that Jesus was God, the one who actually created the wind and the waves and all things. He's the Messiah, the king of heaven and earth. And see, these guys needed to get a picture that Jesus was more than just a wise teacher or an exceptional exceptional human being. They needed to get a taste of his divinity, and they did. They did when he stood up and rebuked the storm. Second observation I would want to make is this. It could be assumed the disciples were a little bit surprised by Jesus' response to their awakening him. Now, they had to be thinking to themselves, hey, you know, waking up Jesus is about the smartest thing that we could do in this moment. Um, This has to be our very best option. But, you know, in hindsight, when you read the story, maybe they should have been a little bit more fearful about waking him up. Because they could have easily been thinking, we're about to die, and Jesus is rebuking us. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, think about it. Jesus, the creator of all things, is in the boat with them, and he's sleeping peacefully. He's completely unconcerned about the circumstances that are around him. But instead of looking at him and remembering all of the prior experiences that they had had with him... Everything that he had done up to that moment, instead they panicked. And so what did Jesus wake up to? He woke up to that day a lot of fear and a lot of doubt. So why why did Jesus rebuke them? Well, since he was fully human, was he kind of ticked off because he was having a nice nap? And they interrupted his sleep. (laughs) Or was he trying to teach them something about trusting in him 
no matter what their circumstances. I think he was trying to say, you know what, there's going to be times when you're going to need to trust me, even when I don't instantly deliver you from the storm and I allow the rain and the winds to continue to buffet you. And you know what? I'm guessing that all of us here today have had moments just like those men when we have literally cried out to God, not because we trusted him, but actually because we we didn't trust him. And I think Matthew Henry once explained, he said, Jesus doesn't rebuke us for coming to him in prayer. No, he rebukes us for not trusting him as we do. And see, I think all too often we believe our feelings and question God. When we need to literally do the opposite, right? We ought to be questioning our feelings and believing God. And Timothy Keller, I think he says it well. He says, if you have a God great enough and infinite enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who is great enough and infinite enough and powerful enough to have reasons to allow you to suffer that you can't understand. You can't have it both ways. And what you and I have to recognize, folks, is that fear, when we let it in, it will always take the helm in our lives when we become more aware of the waves that are around us than the one who is with us. And that brings me to observation number three. And the observation is that being with Jesus did not provide exemption from his followers uh, from earthly hazards or from human cruelty. Now, as you're reading through the Gospels, I want you to be sure and notice that Jesus was very clear and very upfront with his followers regarding the reality uh, that their relationship with him would not give them a spiritual pass, allowing them to avoid all the hard things of life. And we know that pretty clearly because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, hey, you know what? God, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We are all here subject to natural phenomena, as well as human brutality because he even brought that up in the sermon on the mountain verse 11 he said hey blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me and that brings me to three encounter applications that i'd want you to be able to walk away from here today and the first application has got to be this folks you you're going to know that a new measure of faith is going to be required with each new storm of life that we encounter. It's going to have to be brand new faith. And what this encounter demonstrates is that my proximity to Jesus doesn't mean that I get to avoid adversity. And I'll just be honest with you, every time I get in another storm, I still struggle wondering, hey, has God got this? And every time when I get through I recognize he always does. And that's why you and I have to know a faith in God that exists only when things are going well is really not faith in God at all. 
And, you know, we often get into trouble because we panic when trials and difficulties come our way. We assume, you know, this can't be the will of God. But why do we think that? I have a little trouble there. Why do we think that? Because, you know, as you read through the Bible, did you notice there are no problem-free lives in the Bible? In fact, some of the greatest victories came through the problems that they were experiencing. Like I'm experiencing right now. I mean, you think about it. You think about Joseph and what he went through and David. Or you think about a lady named Esther. And anytime, you got to know, anytime someone says, I know God will not give me more than I can handle, actually is not expressing accurate theology at all. You see, a more accurate expression would be, God will not give me more than I can handle with his help. Because sometimes he will give you more than you can handle on your own, and you're going to have to lean on him. And so your relationship with Christ needs to change your relationship with adversity. See, adversity in the hands of Jesus is an adjuster. Because I begin to look at it and say, what, what do I need to get out of it? And so sometimes for you, instead of just asking God to get you out of your circumstances, maybe sometimes you should start asking him what he'd like you to get out of those circumstances. And I think I've shared this before, and for you it's true. I mean, the the, the last few years with COVID and all that we went through, some of the most hardest, painful you know, times in my life. And when I say that, I don't want you to feel sorry for me as a pastor because many other people went through some really hard times. But I've got to be honest and say it was going through those times where God did a work in my life and he changed my heart in some pretty significant ways because I went through that. That's the first um, application. Second application is when you're encountering a storm, you got to distinguish between feelings, between facts, and between faith. And I tell you that because when you don't, it is a recipe for disaster. And so there are three things we need to clearly identify when we go through a storm. And the first thing to identify is this, what am I feeling? Now, if you're like me, you don't always know exactly what you're feeling. And so I had to get some help. And so I came across this feelings wheel that uh, I like it the best because it starts with the little simple feelings on the inside and kind of works its way out. And you can Google feelings wheel and you'll get a PDF and you can take a look at that. It's been so helpful for me to finally figure out, you know what, this actually is what I'm feeling. And it, it, it disempowers my feelings. And see, the reason you need to identify what you're feeling, folks, is because your feelings are real. They're real feelings. But your feelings should never be allowed to rule. Do not put your feelings in charge. And see, what I've discovered and learned the hard way is that when my feelings rule, that's when my faith falters. When I put my feelings in charge, that's when my faith struggles. And I think that's because the two emotions that like to hijack all the other emotions that we have are fear and anger. And fear and anger like to piggyback and hijack those emotions. And they are often used, fear and anger, by the enemy to wreak havoc in our lives. 
In fact, you think about it right now. Have fear and anger ever done anything real positive in your life? Probably not. Second thing you got to ask her, what are the facts? You need to figure out what are the facts? What is it that I know to be true for a fact? And once you've thought of that, then you're welcome to do this. Then you can ask, well, what's the worst case scenario? And I know some of you are experts at that. You go right to the worst case scenario right away, right? So go ahead, do the worst case scenario, but then ask, then what's the best case scenario? Because sometimes that can happen. And then ask yourself, what's the most likely scenario given the facts? And don't leave out the third one. The third one is, hey, what does God's word say? You need to clearly identify what does God's word say? Because not only does God's word actually say that we will encounter storms in this life, it also tells us that if God's truth is foundational to your beliefs and your behavior, that those storms cannot destroy you. They cannot destroy you. And Jesus was pretty clear. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and then puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet what? It did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built this house on the sand. And the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I need something in my life to remove this dread and this utter despair. God, why don't you do something? And see, the challenge is you don't get to choose what you go through all too often, but what you do get to choose is whether you will grow through what you go through. And I appreciate how Emily grew through her encounter, and so we're going to watch that now. My name is Emily Kozak. I've been attending ACC for about two years now. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and I've had a relationship with Jesus most of my life. However, roughly from 2011 to 2021, I struggled with debilitating depression. I was so full of Satan's lies, yet felt so empty. Um, The enemy thrives in isolation, so this began with a lie of no one loves you, your family and friends don't love you, you are alone. And as you can imagine, this majorly affected my relationship with Jesus. I would often cry myself to sleep most nights. Um, I wasn't eating like I should. I wasn't getting assignments done in high school and college. I would leave social events early because of it. And all of this added to the feeling of being alone, worthless, and um, I thought the world would be better off without me. So adding to that isolation feeling, um, I believed these lies for 10 years. Um, It was a very dark and lonely place in my life. I went to counseling where um, I was given tools to help stop the spiral effect, but I felt like it wasn't getting to the root of the problem. Um, I felt like I would never be normal. Um, Until college, I finally opened up to a friend of mine about what I was struggling with, which in itself was very daunting, considering I had felt so alone. Um, So she explained the verse to me, Ephesians 6.12, which says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Here's where I realized my depression was spiritual warfare, which later translated to a prayer that that friend taught me, which says, I rebuke the spirit of depression in the mighty name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of anxiety in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of rejection in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, please fill me with your peace, your truth, and your love. In that moment, God healed me of my depression, which God is so good. Praise God for that. Um, See, the spirit of depression was gone, but my brain, and if you look into how neuropaths work in your brain, um, it'll back this up. My brain was used to the pattern of something would trigger that negative feeling. Intense feelings of worthlessness would come, flooding, causing that spiral effect. And the longer I would dwell on those thoughts, the more worse I would be off, the more miserable I would feel for likely the rest of the day. Um, So now it was time to put in my work of retraining my brain how to think. So anytime a depressed or anxious thought would come, I would pray that prayer. I rebuke the spirit of depression, anxiety, and rejection in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me with your truth, your peace, and your love. See, the Holy Spirit is so good. Later, I went back to find scripture that backed this prayer. Um, We see Jesus rebuking an unclean spirit in Mark and Luke. Later in both of those books, it talks about an unclean spirit is rebuked. It needs to be, that space needs to be replaced with the Holy Spirit to prevent that unclean spirit from returning. So I would also pray that prayer every single time a depressed or anxious thought would come. And I would pray and practice hiding his word in my heart so that I would be able to readily combat the lies that the enemy would throw my way. Psalm 82, 6 and Psalm 91 says, I am a child of God, and this is where my worth comes from. Luke 10, 17, Jesus has defeated and has authority over Satan and all demons. Through Jesus, we have authority over them as well. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And then finally, the promise that God has given us in Philippians 4, 5 through 9, which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and have heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Through this encounter with Jesus, I have been free of depression for three years. There it's on, green light. She, she went to God's word to find out what was true about that. Now, you remember each one of our encounter videos that we've been showing each week can be seen in their entirety at MyACC uh, at our website, or you can go to our YouTube channel. Third takeaway uh, application I'd want you to have today, folks, never interpret God's silence as a lack of awareness of what's going on in your life. I mean, think about where we find ourselves today. If we call ourselves disciples, if we're following him in this wild and scary world, we're with him in the boat. And so where is Jesus? He's always with us, and that's got to make a difference in our lives. Now, we go through storms, right? 
And God in his sovereignty allows suffering and trials, whether from people or from nature or from evil systems in this world. And isn't that just like life? I mean, things seem to be sunny and calm, blue skies and bright days. And then all of a sudden there's that disturbing phone call, a bad lab report, a flash of nature. And all of a sudden storms sweep across our lives that wreak havoc and start sinking our faith. Storms like infidelity and divorce, ovarian cancer and cardiac arrest, wars and tornadoes, joblessness and inflation, best friends that suddenly turn their backs and never speak to you again. And so we walk through many storms in this journey uh, through this world. And we should know that whenever Jesus is in the boat with us, there is absolutely nothing to fear And as long as we walk with him, he's in the boat. The problem is whenever it feels like he's unaware of what's going on in our lives. And I got to be honest with you, there are going to be times in your life when it's going to feel like God is completely unaware of your circumstances. And the disciples, they had an advantage. At least they could see Jesus in the boat with them, even though he was asleep. Our problem is that we, we, we can't see him and then we fear And when we pray and there doesn't seem to be any response, it can feel like he's not paying attention to us. So is he asleep? No, because we know God never sleeps. And Psalm 21, 21, 4 says, Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumber nor sleep. During every moment of our lives, God is watching over us with love and affection. And whenever it feels like God's not responding to our petitions, it's not ever because he hasn't heard us. Sometimes it's because he's busy working in our lives. And so, folks, even even in his apparent absence, God is always present. And we know that because he promises to us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so I would like to challenge us all today to be storm riders. I mean, trusting in spite of circumstances that God's got this. Because when there seems to be no way out, no exit, no human hope for survival, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. And so I'm wondering today for you, what is the storm that you're going through that is making you want to doubt God? And maybe recognize that he's there with you in the midst of that storm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to be here together today. I thank you for all the folks in this room who've come hungry and searching and needing a touch from you. God, I pray that you would remind them today that they mean more to you than anything else. In fact, that's why you sent Jesus to be here in the flesh so that we could have this relationship with you. Now, we just need to trust you and we need to trust Jesus. So I pray, I pray that you'll give us the power to do that. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.